So I, I don't know, uh, Shepherd's class, you made our orchestra sound really good. So it was just so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And now we get to come to one of the great passages of God's Word. It's found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. It, for me, it's been such a life-shaping, ministry-shaping text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're bringing to a conclusion this series that I've been calling The Church Becomes Flesh, that there's a reason why God puts a local church like this in a neighborhood like this. And today I think the Apostle Paul gives us one word that sort of summarizes so much of it. And so I want you to listen for that word, listen to what God's word has to say to you. Let's stand together because we're going to be listening to our Father's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be beginning with verse 14. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who then live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might share the righteousness of God. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Believe it or not, I, I want to start by talking to you about branding. All of you who are in business or almost anything, oh, branding, it sounds like a marketing class of some sort, but stick with me. Um, we, we've talked about branding for a long time, the last 20 years or so, but the first time I heard about it, I was taking a graduate school class at Wheaton College, and the teacher of the class was the vice president of marketing at McDonald's, yes, the hamburger place, and he was a, he was a believer. And he told us that even though at that point in the 70s, nobody had ever heard this term, that he was sure, here is his prophetic word, he was sure that within a few years, every business, every university, every nonprofit, and he said he thought even every church would be talking about its brand. 
Well, here I am doing it, so he must have been right. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean by branding? I'm sure most, most of you do. So I'll tell you what my teacher, I pulled out my old notes. They're yellow almost now. My, my teacher told us that, that branding had to do with who we are as an organization. Even more, he said, it's with how we want other people to think about us or, or, or to see us. And he gave us this sort of formula about how we could come up with what our brand would be. And I'll show you some of it here. He said, you start first from the outside in. And I have an image there for you to see that. He said, look at things, big things, like your mission, what it is you're trying to accomplish, like your vision, where it is that you're headed. All of you have heard this stuff, right? Like your values, what is important to you? He said, nail those things down and you'll begin to see consistency there and it will point you toward your brand. Then, he said, you take that brand and you work from the inside out. And I'll show you the image of that, the inside out, so that your brand, what it is that you are or how you want the world to see you, will touch everything that you do. So uh, many of you who are here often, you know how I think about things like this. So I thought, all right, if the brand is about how people think about us, what do people out there think about when they think about us or any church like Lake Avenue Church? Um, I even put that up on Facebook, and I have never gotten so much response in all my life. Anyway, several surveys. I'm not the first one to ask this. Several surveys have been done to find out what people in our world think about when they think about a church like ours. Uh, one of them was done right here in Southern California about nine years ago by a group called the Barna Group. And young adults, I think 20-somethings adults, looked, that were asked, what do you think about when you see uh, a church? And what they said, a few things were kind, but most of them were, were pretty challenging. Th things like they thought, well, we come across as know-it-alls when they don't think we know-it-all, uh, 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 self-righteous, uh, sometimes hypocritical, certainly as homophobic, and all these things that, that people feel intolerant, uh, down on everybody else, all these things. So that wasn't very good. So I thought, hey, I've got I've to find something better than this. So I went back to where I came from before I came here, back to the Midwest. And just a couple of years ago, a survey like what this was done in the Midwest. And uh, they said a few nicer things uh, about, about church, but they also added a couple things I thought were interesting. One, the question of relevance. The people who were there, many of them said, well, we know that churches in the United States back years ago were significant. They made a difference in their neighborhoods, but we're not sure that they do anymore. And the second and the biggest one was they thought it was a political movement. A political. So I thought about all those things and I thought that's, that's not what I want people to think when they think about us here at Lake Avenue Church. Uh, but what do I want people to think when they think of us? What is it that, that I would long to have to be our brand as people just drive past this big church on the 210, see that cross up there? And as I've thought about it, and, and I've been here seven and a half years, so this will not come as a surprise to many of you. The thing that I long for that will characterize who we are, not just how people think about us, can be summarized by a word that, that came up so often in the scripture reading today and it's that word reconciliation reconciliation 
That's got to be at least a part of our brand. Now, when I use that, the problem with a word like that is I don't think most people know what it means. Uh, most people think it's a pretty good thing, but they aren't really sure what. The, so a brand needs to be something that people know what it means. So I'll tell you what I think of when I think about what it means. Uh, the word reconciliation is a beautiful word of relationship. Uh, of a relationship that's been brought back together. So I usually think about it along two concepts. One of that when there is uh, uh, brokenness, when, when there's a brokenness in the relationship, that reconciliation is, is those, uh, would be those who take steps to bring what is broken back together. It's healing. Or, or the second idea, very similar to it, is one of hostility. When there's come a, something hostile in a relationship where you feel uncomfortable with that person or angry with that person, the one who is involved in reconciliation does what Jesus says. You get involved in peacemaking. Once again, it, it's that beautiful idea of bringing people back together. And I think that just about everything that we do at Lake Avenue Church, or should do, has to do with that. I mean, when, when we call people to faith in Jesus, it's calling people to be reconciled to God, to get to know him again. When we talk about this word discipleship, it's that brokenness within ourselves that, that's supposed to come back together again. When we get out into the neighborhood, we should care about brokenness in the world that our Father made and, and be agents of, of reconciliation. What do you think? Oh, God. It's not as thoroughgoing as I thought it should be so. Knowing that sometimes I talk and, and, and I'm not sure that any, I, I asked Carol Kenyon to help me out. I said, Carol, how would you talk about this? So if you look in your worship folder, you'll see it. She wrote me back this note that's made it into our family devotionals. That I, I love it. She called it, think about it this way, the ministry of wreck, W-R-E-C-K, wreck conciliation. According to Carol Kenyon. So I'm going to read it to you. She wrote, when, people, when God created people in his own image, way, way back at the beginning in Genesis, they were at peace with God. They were his close friends, loved deeply by God and who loved God right back. And pretty quickly, these people, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God because they were sure they knew how to run their lives better than he did, but they didn't. After they disobeyed him, they couldn't be close to him anymore. Their sin had wrecked their relationship with God. Their sin wrecked more than that. It, it wrecked their relationship with each other. And it wrecked their relationship with our world. And everyone born after them was wrecked. And all this wreckage wasn't okay with God because he loves the world so much that he made. God had always had a plan. It was to send his son, Jesus, to reconcile us with him. He unwrecks us. Jesus paid the price for their disobedience and ours. He paid for us to have peace with God again, the way God had intended. When Jesus came to earth to launch God's plans of, of reconciliation re-peacemaking. He opened the door to the kingdom of heaven so that it could begin now. So, so people don't have to wait until we die to have peace with God. And we don't have to wait until we die to have peace with each other either.
I tell you, I read that and I thought, I'll, I'll never forget that. You'll forget the way I talked about reconciliation. Maybe you'll re- remember this. Wreck. <laughs> Conciliation. I, I, I will never forget it. Because I, I feel like we all know that almost everything in our world and really in all of our lives and our families, uh, to some degree, greater or lesser, that it's wrecked in some ways. It's not all that it should be. And I love the way Carol wrote it. Jesus came to unwreck it and to make it right. So here's what happens. And this is what our baptisms were about. When we give our lives from head to toe, like baptism shows, belong to Jesus, he makes us alive again and begins this process to unwreck the things that are wrecked inside of us. And at the same time, he sends us out into the world uh, to be his ambassadors, Paul's language, of, of reconciliation. We go into the neighborhood and we say there's always hope, as bad as things may be, because God is God. God is a, a, a God of reconciliation. That's what he loves. And we're here to be his ambassadors and his representatives. So there it is. When people think about Lake Avenue Church, I want us to be known as a people and a place where God's unwrecking happens. What do you think about that? And I think, that, isn't that what Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 5? Just one of the greatest texts about this in the entire Bible. I'm going to point out just a few things about a marvelous text that we could have a whole semester of classes about this. First thing I want you to think about is this. If that's something I pray about, will become a part of our brand, what we're all about. It must happen in our lives individually. And so I think that reconciliation, the place where it must start is this. With each one of us having a personal experience of being unwrecked ourselves. I mean, we've got to own that there's wreckage inside of us and the wreckage in our world isn't just out there with those people. But apart from God alone, there's no hope for me. God, I need to be made right with you. Look how how Paul, who had experienced this, puts it. What's going to happen is Christ's love compels us. Because here's something we're convinced of. That one died and he died for all. What happens here, it also happens in Philippians chapter 3, is that the Apostle Paul so often looks back at his life before he met Jesus and, and, and he realizes that before he met Jesus he was critical of everybody else out there but then when he met Jesus he found that, that he, had, he had been a part of the problem that the wreckage was his and, and partly what he was doing and when you read it he, he began to realize that he had wrecked relationship with almost everybody uh, he didn't get along with many of his fellow Jewish people he certainly would have no relationships with the half-Jew, half-otherwise Samaritan. And for, for like most of us, those of us who are non-Jewish people, he would have nothing to do with us whatsoever. And in fact, his relationships were so broken that he had even been intentionally involved in going out and killing a wonderful young man named Stephen. You can read about that in Acts chapter 5 and 6. But then, Acts 9, he met Jesus. It's a great story. I'd always put it, it was an eye-opening experience. And it was an eye-opening, you have to read the story if you don't know what I'm talking about. But it was eye-opening in more than one way. And the way I want to point out in this, Paul had to look at himself. He had to have his eyes open to himself in a new way. 
And he had to acknowledge that he was a sinner. You see, before, he would act as if everybody else was the problem. But then Jesus made him do what he made me do and what all of us who have responded to him look inside ourselves and say, ah, there's wreckage inside here. I need forgiveness for things in my life. I need remaking. Paul came to this point that he just saw that he had no hope apart from the love of Jesus. From the love and mercy of Jesus. In fact, after he had experienced it for the rest of his life, he would go out and say, you've got to know I was the chief of sinners. Chief. So I can go carry this message to anybody because if he, if he welcomed me, he'll welcome anybody. Now, when we own this, see, as long as we try to pretend I can just do it, but when we own this, there's wreckage in, inside of us, it, it can lead us to, to what I call Eeyore Christianity. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. A.A. Milne, Eeyore, woe is me, I can't do anything, I'm the rotter. But that, how is it that that didn't happen with Paul? How is it that his life began to really count even more? That, that his life was more alive and more difference-making afterwards than before? It's because he experienced the, and I call it the grace-filled love of Jesus. And, and I, each phrase, grace-filled, and, and that word means he, he knew he hadn't earned it. That he didn't deserve it. He, he didn't say, ah, oh, well, of course, Jesus loves me because I'm better than all these other people. No, no, no. It was grace-filled love of Jesus that God knew everything about him. He knew about his past. He knew where he'd failed. And he loved him with an everlasting love anyway. He met him, offered him cleansing from his past and a whole new future. And when he realized that, he said, I am compelled by the love of Christ to live for him. And he puts it in verse 15 in one of my favorite descriptions of what it means to be a Christian. I no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me. That's what happens to us. So, or should happen, right? That we just go into the world saying, I no longer live for myself. Somebody had to die for me or I had no life. I live for this one who loved me so much that he died for, for me. So Paul never forgot that he was what he was because he was a product of God's love and mercy shown through Jesus. And... and don't you see when we see this, it changes us? Do you see that? Is that clear? It changes the way we see all people, all people. It'll change the way we interact with people. It means that when we go into the world, even when we see some of the wreckage in our world, we won't do it as, as, as proud or self-righteous. We'll be able to offer forgiveness. We'll know that the forgiveness of Christ is sufficient for other people because it was sufficient for us. He died for all. Um, and it also means that a church will be a place that welcomes people. Whatever has been in the life. We'll always call people to follow Jesus and to be changed by him, right? He asks all those hard things at times. But this is where it begins. With each one of us acknowledging that we've had a personal experience of being unwrecked ourselves by the grace-filled love of Jesus. Now, second. So that was about individuals. Now, what, what has to happen among us, Lake Avenue Church? We have to be a reconciled community if we're going to be reconcilers out in our world. So look at how he puts it in verse 20. I'm going to keep this verse up here because I, I hope you noticed it as I read it before. So, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal out in the world through us. Oh, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Do you see how he makes a turn on a dime in the middle of that verse? He starts out preaching the sermon just like I'm preaching to you. 
Here's what we should be carrying God's reconciliation ministry out into this broken, troubled world. Oh, wait a minute. We've got some trouble right here, he said. You be reconciled to one another. You be reconciled to God. And then you go out and be reconciled. All right, you've got to know what's happening in 2 Corinthians. If you read these two letters to a church in a city called Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I'm just telling you, there were divisions and fights and battles among them. They were human beings. And they didn't get along with one another. You just you read it through and you'll see it. And they didn't get along with the Apostle Paul, the one who'd started them either. And the Apostle Paul essentially says, this, this can't happen. There's no way we can fulfill what God's called us to be. A community, a, a community placed within our neighborhood to be a place where people can come and know the reconciling power of God. If we have divisions among ourselves, nobody will believe us. If we have the power of the Holy Spirit among us and dwelling within us, who is powerful enough to put to the past all of those things that divide us uh, and, and still have divisions, how, how on earth can we go out into the world and offer the hope of Christ? So Paul is saying, investigate your own lives and your own relationships with people around you, within your own church family, your brothers and sisters. Be reconciled. Uh, we're going to be Christ's ambassadors to this world, but first be, you be reconciled. It's the very same thing that, that, that the Apostle John would say. Read his letter in 1 John. And, and there he would say, okay, how on earth can, can you say that you have a love for God the Father who sent his son to die for us? How can you, and you don't even love your brothers and sisters. You can't do that. And it's really what Jesus said. So how is, if I put it into our world, uh, John 13, how is Pasadena going to know that you really are my followers? If you have love one for another. So in my sermon, I just want to join my voice to theirs. And so I'll just ask you the question. Do you have any broken relationships with any brothers or sisters in Christ, especially within your church family? Are you mad because of how a person looks? Are you angry because of something someone said? Something someone did? Sometimes, rightly so. And yet, when I see the life of Jesus, I see what he did while we were sinners so that you and I could be welcomed. And, and that's where we have to start as well. Pa- Paul is passionate about this. Reconciliation simply must start with those of us who claim to follow Jesus. So it's the way Carol put it. If your church relationships are wrecked, come on, let's let God unwreck them. <laughs> and so what I, w- I want to ask you to be willing to do, because sometimes these things are so hard, it's easier to preach about them than to engage in this, right? But if you are willing to have the heart to take the first step toward a person and to be praying all the time that they might take a step back toward you, if you're, if you're willing to do that, I think you will see God do more than you ever, ever could expect. Amen. Second point I, I want you to, to make. What, what must happen among us is we've got to show a broken world what God can do. As they see people worshiping together and they think, what are they doing worshiping together? They just are so different. And we say, yes, we are. 
but Jesus brings us together. That's what must happen here. Three. Um, okay. What has God given us for the task? And what he starts with is he's given us a message that when it changes our lives, we can carry out into the world. It's the message of reconciliation. God entrusts, verse 19, to us his message of reconciliation. Now, I've just got to tell you this. Some of the most beautiful and powerful teaching about what happened on the cross takes place from verses 18 to 21. Uh, God made him, Jesus, who, who knew no sin, never sinned, to become sin for us, this great exchange. He was willing to take our place so that we in him might be made, declared, and share in the righteousness of God. And you may say, I can't understand it. It sounds good, but I, but I don't understand it. Well, I can't talk much more about it right now, but I'm going to refer you to a book that I love. It's called The Cross of Christ. It's by John Stott. Uh, so just choose and reflect on this, leads you to prayer. What I'm going to do right now is just show you three phrases that Paul uses here that provide the basis of what we can go out and, and take to anybody in this world. Here they are. Uh, verses 14 and 15. Jesus has died and is risen for all. He, he makes the point several times. Did you notice it? Jesus has died and is risen for all. In my, the same thing I say every time I come to a verse like this. Who's in the all? And so many times in a church, there are some of the alls who are in God's alls that we don't want in our alls. So we've got to see this. Jesus died for all and he rose again for all and his death is sufficient for whatever is in a person's past or in their lives. And his resurrection can remake people. That's our hope. Okay, second phrase. Uh, I love this one. Verse 17. Anyone can be a new creation in Christ. So I, I should ask that too, right? Well, who is in the anyone? And again, I'll say there are some anyones in God's anyones that we don't want in our anyones. New creations. I mean, isn't that a great phrase? It's glorious. It's this thing that we can go out and tell people all the time. And actually, you can embrace every day of your life that there's always hope of a new beginning. I mean, we continue. We're not all complete, right? And the beauty of being a Christian isn't that you wake up in the morning and it's, it's, it's new. In Christ, there's opportunity to start again. Isn't it beautiful? This is at the foundation of our reconciliation work. And then the third phrase is in verse 19. And if I love those other two phrases, this one is just great. That God himself is ready not to count people's sins against them. Anybody else like that? Any amens or hallelujahs or anything? I just, it just, it's with a, you know, this is one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible. I often remind myself of this when I go to prayer. God tells me, I'm ready not to count your sins against you. I was doing a wedding last night, and I told the couple, I said, this is the thing that will wreck your relationship more than anything else. After about ten years, you get one thing right, and then someone will say, oh, but remember, eight years ago, you said this to me. I mean, what wrecks a relationship more than that? We have to have places where we draw the line and say, that's gone. And that's what, see, God does that. So there's the message of reconciliation entrusted to us. So we have to give it, but we also have to live it. Uh, which, which means when we put them all together, we live in the light of that message that if God is willing to forgive, we must be willing to forgive. 
If God believes that tomorrow can be different and that there's a hope for a future, we must live offering that hope to people. And, and if we really believe that God is saying, I will not count people's sins against them, we can't do that either. So, there, there's what we've been given for, the task. And I think that's quite a beautiful message. Don't you think our world needs to hear it? Last thing, what do I want you to do? As God's agents of reconciliation. And here using Carol's imagery again. You and I, we've got to go out there into the wreckage of our world. We've got to, if nobody will believe. Someone asked me after the first service, if the world thinks one way about you and the media puts you one way, how are you ever going to change people's impressions? And I said, we've got to go out and be there. We've got, we've got to go out into the wreckage of the world in the name of Jesus, in the love of Jesus, being willing to speak of Jesus. Look at verses 18 and 20. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what we are. Here's our brand. We are Christ's ambassadors. So that when we go out, it is as though God makes his appeal through us. So this message that we bear must change the way we live. Uh, how are we to be ambassadors? It's too big a question for me to deal with in the, just the moments that I have left. Uh, but I'll, I'll boil it down to this. Uh, the kind of ministry that the Bible says should be at the center of everything in the life of our church requires us to be willing to, to have the courage to enter into places of brokenness and hostility in our world as Jesus did. And, and as we go, we have love for people. And, and, and things that have happened in the wreckage of our world have, have just scarred people so many times so that relationally often it is very, very hard. Isn't that true? But we've got to go out always having the hope of Jesus. We must always go with the love of Jesus. And even if there are hostile people toward Jesus, toward us, we have to go again and again and offer what Jesus did to Paul. So simply put, I want you to do what Jesus did. That's all. <laughs> Jesus who left perfection of heaven to come to be with us and lets his spirit dwell within us. That's an amazing thing. He entered, and when you read what he did, I mean, he entered into to people's lives who had leprosy and, and had engaged in, in prostitution and had been imprisoned. I mean, just all sorts of things. And then changed their lives. So we've got to do that. Or if, if that's too hard, then I, I want you to do what Paul did after he met Jesus, which is the same thing that Jesus did. <laughs> He no longer, it's, I, I think this is so fascinating. When you read the life of Paul, there was a time when he wouldn't even talk with or eat with, but one kind of group of people, small group of people. And after he meets Jesus, the very people that he just viewed as enemies, we find him calling those very people brothers and sisters. It is amazing. It's what should happen in our lives when we have truly met and been changed by the love of Christ. He compels us. The love of Christ compels us to go and tell people, yeah, this way of life is just wrecking you, but, but he can make a difference because he's made a difference in my own life. Reconciliation. It's, it's such a beautiful word of restored relationship. So this is at least a big part of what I pray will be in our brand. That when people think of us, I think at least one thing I pray is they'll say, well, I don't know much else what happens in that big church towering over the 210. But I'm telling you, they are committed 
to being God's ambassadors of trying to do something that helps people. And I'll call it ambassadors of reconciliation. I, I want them to say that these group of people are committed to unwrecking some of the wreckage in our community and world so that when our kids in our public schools are failing in school and their parents aren't supporting them very much, that church has people who are really willing to go and be mentors of those kids. See, that, that'll change things. Uh, I want them to see that when their families and, and kids of families who are homeless, the people of this church say, we can't do everything, but that's not right. That's not what God wants to happen with children, with families, and they'll go, we'll go out and walk with people and help them to find a place where they can live and, and belong. Uh, I, I pray that when we go into our neighborhood and we meet people who just don't feel that they, they belong, for whatever reason, things in their past, or whatever reason, that, that we'll say, well, come here. We're, we're, we're a group of people who needed mercy and are finding it. You'll have a family here. See, that, that's what I want to think, people to think. I, I pray that as people think about us, uh, they'll think about a people and a place of reconciliation. And, and I know this. In our world, uh, they'll say, but wait a minute. That church there, I, I've heard they keep opening the Bible. And they keep talking about Jesus and telling people you've got to follow Jesus to have your life made right. And that sounds awfully narrow to me. And what do I say about that? Yes, that's what I'm going to do. Because I think this word teaches us how to live lives that are brought together. And I know that it's only the Lord Jesus who can bring together what's been wrecked. And I believe that if we will live in the light of what he's done, going out and showing the love of Jesus because we are compelled by the love of Jesus, that the world may look and say, well, all right, if following Jesus looks like that, then maybe I'd better go and find out. You think your senior pastor is an idealist? I, so. <laughs> I am. But the idealism comes because the Bible tells us it's going to happen. He will eventually make everything the way it's supposed to be. Reconciliation. A place and a people of reconciliation. That's what I pray that people will think of when they think of Lake Avenue Church. So I'll leave you with verse 18 of this great text. God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To his glory. Amen. To his glory. Amen. Um, I'm going to ask Myra to come up as we bring our service to the close. And Myra to tell us, you know, Pastor Myra is the one who's been given a weighty responsibility of making sure we actually obey this passage, right? (laughs) I I sometimes tell Myra she has the great gift of irritation. Do you think that's a gift that you wanted? (laughs) She pulls me out of my comfort zone. She pulls me out of my comfort zone. Can you call it something like holy irritation or something? Oh, yeah, okay. It's needed. Sometimes, you know, it's easier even for the pastor to preach a sermon and then go home and lock myself away. (laughs) And uh, Myra comes and says, no, that's not what you preached. And I'm so thankful for you. You know that. Uh, 
it's not irritating at all. <laughs> it, it's, it's inspiring to me. Myra, we have out in the um, uh, a plaza today, uh, ministry, our partner ministries of people who are doing this and that we partner alongside of. Tell us a little bit about that. We have 12 different tables out there, and I think I told you earlier, if you didn't come through there, and if you're parked over there, and, you, and if you're able to, come on over and meet some of our partners. We have Lake Avenue Community Foundation, Door of Hope, Walter Hoving Home, and a bunch of others, and I think there's even snow cones out there. And... I want to challenge you to, talk, to, to go and meet some people and talk to a few of them. So talk to three of them and then go get a snow cone. Yeah. Um, but this is what, you know, we, we're calling it a partnership fair because not only do we partner with folks in the community who are doing amazing work, but we partner with what God is doing in the neighborhood. And so yeah. that's why we wanted to call it that. So come and partner with us. And there's a little article in the Lake Avenue that you can also look at that explains a little more why we chose to go this route. But this is what it means to live out what our pastor just um, talked to us about today is going out there and being a part of God's reconciling work in the world. That's right. So uh, I love these ministries. I've gotten to visit, I think, all of them, and now the ones that I haven't will come and say, snow cone too. I know, I, I, the first service I said, snow cones, I like snow cones, and I've got to, but then some, who brought me those? Thank, I didn't eat it all, I, I wonder if it's melted by now, but uh, <laughs> that's a great thing, so is it a free snow cone if you visited three booths? It's a free snow cone on someone. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's a fundraiser. All right, Myra, so you'll probably want to go out, and, and I'll bring our service to a close. Uh, our pastors, I see Lois here. Do we have some other pastors, prayer counselors, or you may have to carry the weight of this? We must have some others to come. Oh, here we go. Mario, this is good. This is good as our prayer team comes. Um, if the Lord has spoken to you today, you want to know more about how to, what happened to Paul, how you can come alive to God through faith in Jesus, or if there is a relationship that you know needs to be reconciled, you've worked at it, it's just not working, we'd love to pray with you, counsel with you. We, we, that, would, that last point that I made would be every one of us, I'm sure, at, at some way, but, but especially if you're at a point where you're saying, I've tried this, I, I can't do it alone, we'd love to be with you and pray with you about that. If you'd like to connect with our church, as we heard, I see Alan over here through the connect sign. That, you can find a small group or place to serve that way. So glad that you were here this morning. Don't rush home too fast, though your stomach may be growling a little bit. But uh, I pray that the Lord has spoken to you. Let's stand together. Uh, you can tell, I believe so deeply, that when we hear our Father's Word, the one who made us, and knows that there's wreckage that's coming into our lives, that any passage of His Word should change us. So the real aspect of worship that we have to hold on to is, Lord, how should my life be different in the light of what your word has said? And this text is surely one of those, don't you think? The real worship begins as we seek to go as his ambassadors of reconciliation. I need his help, and let's pray that we might know it. So now may our dying Savior's love compel us. May our risen Savior's power give us strength. May our ascended Savior's prayer embolden us. And may our returning Savior's glory be so real to us that we go 
as your ambassadors of reconciliation to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.